Namaste. Welcome to the podcast, Meaningful Lives. I'm Swami Lalitananda, the director of Yashodara Ashram. In this series, I'm talking to people from diverse backgrounds who are driven to fulfill an inner calling and to give back to life through their particular gifts. I first met Candice Patiki earlier this year when she attended the three-month yoga development course at the Ashram. I was showing her and a few others around on a tour, and I was immediately struck by Candace's joyful presence, her humor and curiosity, her love of the land, especially Kootenai Lake, she mentioned, and her respect for the sacred, which somehow was obvious to me. Now, three months after the YDC, Candace has come by to offer a few days of karma yoga. I'm so happy to find out what's happening and to find more about what gives life meaning. So namaste, Candace, and welcome. Mm, namaste. <laughs> I thought you could introduce yourself and say a little bit about your life to this point. Where's your focus been in your work? Right. So since 1989, I have worked in conservation. I have worked for all beings in the sense of um, uh, species, you know, endangered species and their recovery for the protection of wildlands and, and waters and a little bit of work on what we would maybe call forestry reform. So I would say I started off as a environmentalist and over time I became more of a conservationist and uh, and and eventually, you know, a manager and director in in a nonprofit. So, it's been almost more than thirty years that I've been in various guises. But I, I, if I had to sort of summarize it in my own mind, I would say it's really about justice for all beings. I'm just curious about the two words you used, or three words really, but ecologist to conservationist. Yeah. So what is the difference between those two? In the early days, I was younger and I was, you know, they used to talk about the angry young man, you know, I was kind of an angry young woman really and I saw things that were happening in the world and the loss of nature and it saddened me and it made me angry and I really wanted things to change and I found, you know, in my late 20s, I found a lot of excitement being out in the streets changing things and finding other people who felt passionate mm -hmm. and were emotionally driven to, um, to protect uh, the things that they loved, particularly the, 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 the wild world and all the, all the beings in it. And then I, as I learned about change and how to make change, you know, I went through an, an evolution. We all go through evolutions over over decades in our lives. And I became a student of change, I think, and I wanted to be effective. I didn't, and, and I think I'm still asking that question every day, what's effective when it comes to change? That's a, that's a lifelong question that I think I will always hold because that's always 
the answers are always changing. So as I moved into uh, where it became my job, <laughs> you know, I became employed in the nonprofit environmental movement, which at that point was still, I was in the United States, actually, even though I'm born and raised in British Columbia. I, I started off there in the United States because nobody got paid to be an environmentalist in Canada at that time. Uh, that came later uh, as that as that sector of uh, civil society grew. You know, we have we've always had nonprofits in healthcare and and social services and that kind of thing, but we didn't we didn't have that in the eighties and nineties um, or until the mid nineties actually in British Columbia. So. I came of age at a time where that could be my career. Um, so that was to me wonderful that I could spend my days, um, you know, trying to save save the earth uh, and and protect what I love so much. Yeah. And then as I as I became more and more experienced, I added more um, skills uh, to my. To my repertoire, and I became good at government relations, and I had always had communications as part of what I was good at. I studied journalism early on in my life before I became an environmentalist, even, and so all of those things contributed to me being able to take on more and more senior roles inside organizations, and then to help other people to have small teams and staff, and you know, and up to becoming a director. And just recently, I retired as director of landscape protection for uh, a, a nonprofit called Yellowstone to Yukon. So that's kind of the trajectory of life. And But that doesn't mean that I don't, uh, that I don't see value in all those tactics and strategies. I started off kind of out in the streets. And now that I'm retired, I think I'm going back to the streets, honestly. <laughs> right. It's just, yeah. Well, that's evolution. With all the knowledge that you have, um, you would be coming from a, a very different place. Yeah. It sounds to me, and because we're talking about meaning in life, that you were really drawn to that area almost. You couldn't not do it. Yeah. And I wonder also with your idea of justice for all living beings, how that relates, because I know that you have a Buddhist background as well. And how does that come into, um, into, into you as a person, or the values, or, or why were you attracted to Buddhism? So I started meditating in the Buddhist tradition in the early 1990s. So I had been you know, again, that sort of angry young woman phase, right? And I had kind of burnt myself out, just working around the clock. And, you know, when you're that age and you feel so passionately, you kind of feel like the world is on your shoulders and you have to, you know, you can't rest. <laughs> and so I had kind of become burnt out. And I I realized that I needed a bigger a bigger perspective. But I, I won't say that I was wise enough to seek it out. It kind of fell in my lap. And now I now I think, well, that's Divine Mother. At the time, I was just grateful that I had found a way to understand my mind. When I was able to sit down and look at how my mind worked, I had never really thought about it in that sense. My mind was just doing what it did. And to be able to sit down and actually look at my mind and learn about my mind, I won't say control my mind, because we can't 
really control, but we can direct over time. So that was really a revelation for me, although very difficult, um, you know, but that's classic mindfulness, starting with mindfulness, moving into awareness. Oh, okay, well, that's how my mind works. You know, well, after a few years of that, like, what's all this other Buddhist stuff? What are they talking about? And, and the student in me um, became, you know, just, it just kind of is a natural evolution. So I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't come from a religious background. I, you know, I was Catholic until I was seven when I quit. Um, but the more that I learned about Buddhism, the more it made sense to me. And I liked that it was a science. I liked that it was the science of mind and a way of describing reality. And also that was very open to being questioned, demanded to be questioned right? Don't take any of this on faith. Try it for yourself. See if it's true. See what happens. I really liked that. I, I felt like I wasn't being force-fed anything. I, you know, it wasn't a cult. And, you know, the more I looked into it, the more it was true. And you start to be, you start to build a faith, right? As, as, as your own experience accords with what, um, what the wisdom teachers, you know, have been saying for millennia. Um, you know, their wisdom teachings because they've been refined for millennia. And at a certain point, I just go, yeah, you know, it's been true until now, and I'm, I'm going to take the rest of it, too. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's also that context, though, too. So I spent a lot of time trying to, trying to connect Buddhism and environmentalism, trying to make them fit together, looking for people who were fitting them together. Mm -hmm. Joanna Macy was somebody who was an influence on me early on. Um, you know, because she, she was doing that. She was taking deep ecology and Buddhism and saying, here's how it fits together for us now in our time. And that was really, really important for me. And and the idea of, at the time, she was doing something called the Council of All Beings. So that was really important to me as well to say, hey, it's not just humans at the top of the food chain, you know, we're in charge. Because it didn't look to me that we were doing such a great job of being in charge. And I love the Council of All Beings to say, hey, we all have a voice in this. It's a circle. And 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 let's listen to each other and learn from each other. So and I had always felt the unfairness, I think. I really started off in campaigns that were very species based. Mm -hmm. You know, that 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 dolphins were being drowned in tuna nets, you know, was one of the first campaigns I worked on. And and that grizzly bears were being forced out of their habitats. And and that just made me really sad because as a little kid, I felt like I'd been forced out of my habitat too. You know, I grew up on the encroaching suburban edge of things and, and it just it just seemed unfair to me and still does. And so how can we how can we come to a place of deep respect for all beings, all beings, and that we all have rights. You know, this is a movement now um, that I find so inspiring, actually, is the rights of nature. You know, we have this separation, oh, there's people and there's nature. Well, we have human rights. To some extent, there's some animal rights, which is maybe more actually animal welfare. But this beautiful idea that's being led by Indigenous people in, uh, uh, in certain places uh, um, more than others, but the the edge of that i find really beautiful this idea that rivers have rights and um 
Yeah, so to me, that's where we come back to that justice for all beings, and it came out of the Buddhism, um, you know, back then. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Your description of Buddhism reminds me a lot of what Swami Radha says about yoga, that especially the mindfulness part. When I started, um, I saw her, and, and the first workshop that I did with her was on mind and consciousness. And she asked the question, what is mind? And it was like a question as in psychology, but it was a question that no one had ever asked me before. And 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 that evening, I just, um, she asked us to write about it. And it's like, I was up all night, like, what is mind? Watching that mind do the circles. And it's like, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to respond to this question? It's really tricky. And so, and then in realities of a dreaming mind where we work with our dreams and that unconscious, more unconscious, bridging the conscious to the unconscious, at the very end of the book, she says, don't believe anything that I tell you. Find out for yourself. And I too was not religious and I too loved that message. And my way in was through dreams, which was a mystery to me, but a mystery that had intrigued me all along. And she gave me a few keys to opening up those symbols. So um, so I'm seeing parallels between Buddhism and yoga, and I wonder how you see that, having come to the ashram for a three-month course, yeah. and you're a Buddhist and a, and a conservationist, and you come to an ashram. Right. Well, <laughs> there's lots I could say about that. I, I mean, Buddhism came from India, so the roots are very entwined and intertwined, and we don't have time to go into a history of that. But, I mean, Tara is one example of, of that. Um, I, for me, um, Buddhism and yoga... I guess one thing that happened for me at YDC, and it's one of those things that you're like, yeah, yeah, I know, but now I'm like, oh yeah, right. You know, I had fallen into yoga being the physical poses, mm -hmm. and it's so much more. And it is, it is science of mind. You know, there's there's differences for sure. Buddhism Buddhism is non-theistic, but is it actually? You know, uh, this whole question of what is mind uh, is unanswerable. It's an, it can only be experienced. We'll never know. Um, it's, it's kind of the last big question, really. What is consciousness? Um, but when I, I guess I would say when I first, so I live here in Nelson. I've been practicing Buddhism since the early 90s. I came for courses at the ashram, and I really liked the kundalini work. I really liked, because I've always always been a, big dreamer. There's always been lots going on there. And how do I make any sense of that? And I love the working with the symbology. It's like magic. You know, all of a sudden you're working with this, this symbol that opens up your mind in a whole new way. Wow. Well, that's fascinating. You know, and as a writer, I'm really fascinated by that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Creativity. Um, so I'm living in Nelson. It's the early nineties. I've come to a couple of classes, you know, and and then over time, the ashram started to feel like a refuge, a place where 
I could come and be a Buddhist, and that was fine. And the first time I came here, or, well, it wasn't the first time I came here, but I, but at some point, I start. It started seeping in the awareness that that and I had always felt welcomed here. I had always felt that as a, as a as a person who identified with Buddhism, I was really welcomed here. The iconography that I saw. What started seeping in over time was how much Tara iconography was here. And Tara is, you know, she's a Buddhist deity, but she's very big in India, and she has her own amazing history, and she's this beautiful goddess. And I thought, okay, great. You know, I can come here, and I can do my practices, and everybody's beautiful and welcoming, and the land is wonderful. And it just felt very natural and very... um yeah, safe and peaceful and beautiful, and that um, that I could continue unfolding here. And it took me a while to get to the yoga development course. I'm incredibly glad I did, um, because it's 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 really brought all those threads together for me at um, you know at a at a at a time in my life. I'm sixty, just turned sixty one. Um, so yeah, all of these threads are coming together for me. But the land here is also so uh, strong, and you find that at retreat centers. I was involved with the Shambhala Buddhist community here in the West Kootenays for for a long time, and we had retreat land uh, down uh, down near a little place called Nelway, and it was a similar feeling. People practicing there, people meditating there for a long time, all the other beings respond to what they do they do you know and and you can tune into that and it's just incredible i remember being down at uh, it was called sangiling it's it's since passed out of the the hands of the buddhist community but after a week of meditating there i sat down beside a uh beside a birch tree and i could hear the sap moving you know (laughs) you think Really? I'm like, yeah, really. <laughs> so the ashram too has 60 years of history of, of, of everybody here, human and non-human, um, rejoicing together. Yeah, it's in the atmosphere. One of the things we always say to people when they come to is that because it's this place that's being held, that has this one purpose, which is to allow people to open to their essence or their spiritual potential. That's the only reason the ashram is here. So everything else works around that. and We have to do stuff to keep it going. But that's its purpose. And, um, and so the feeling of safety, the feeling of being held, is, um, is quite tangible. And people can enter in kind of cold, like never having been here before. And they're in a small group, and suddenly they're talking to people about the deepest things in their life. And um, and what Swami Radha said, and I think it's true, is really letting the burdens go. Being able to shed some of those um, responsibilities or imagine, imagine, imaginary responsibilities or weights that we carry as human beings busy with their lives out there and entrenched in the society. It's like you can come here and drop burdens 
And I feel like that unfolding or unhealing is what people get in. That's when you get in touch with yourself, with the divine in us. So the atmosphere is, is so important and that you recognize that and that I recognized that you recognize that. <laughs> I saw that in the way you would approach an altar. I just wanted to go back to something you said about theistic. Hmm. Because even that we have all these deities and many of them are actually Buddhists and Bodhisattvas, and then there's the Krishnas and the Shivas and the Divine Mothers, 108 names, this huge pantheon, but all of them are symbols. So I don't consider yoga a theistic path. We use the symbolisms to understand different powers or different potentials in ourselves. And um, it's always a movement toward the more part, because there's always more potential than we can actualize. Yes. Which is what I love, because it is that open road. It is that open-ended path. It's not like, okay, if you do this, then you're going to get there. It's like, find out what's next. I have, I, I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about this uh container principle and the YDC felt like I mean that the ashram is such an amazing container mm -hmm. and the YDC felt like a force field within the container but I kind of feel that way about the deities as well it's like they they're a frequency that you can tune into. And that was something that I that I really, really connected with during the YDC was just this idea of like like the old radio dial, you know, <laughs> you're just kind of tuning out the static and and you're tuning in and and the immense power of that is that, you know, untold billions of people have tuned into these deities, you know, for a long, long time. Yeah. So there's a lot of power there. And we can just tap into that. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. And it's also the power of the mind because it gives the mind somewhere to go, right? Yeah. So instead of just sitting, 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 watching the thoughts go by, it's like, okay, I'm heading to Radha or I'm heading to Haryam, which is healing. So that thought of all those connections around that image um, or sound can be present for us. Yeah, it's a shortcut. <laughs> it is a shortcut. And especially with sound, because because we're putting our breath in, we're putting our voice in, and it does something. Okay. I'm curious about now, because um, you were here um, for three months, and you've been away for a few months, and you said you retired. <laughs> so life has changed. What 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 is happening for you now? Hmm. Well, one of the things with the YDC is that it kind of starts when it ends, right? Right. Yes. So um, I didn't quite realize that. <laughs> you should say that to people. You should tell them. Um, and I, you know, I thought I was leaving the YDC and I was going back to my job and I was going to do that for a year or two and then maybe retire. And yeah, things, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. And so 
So it was, you know, tumultuous, you know, emotionally and lots of transition and, and kind of upheaval, honestly. Uh, so I'm actually now in this wonderful space of not knowing. And, you know, it's back to that container principle and, and being here and in the YDC, I talked about the force field and, and my, my work situation had become a box and that box was not, no longer fit. The box had changed while it was at YDC also, but but then there was no container at all, and that was difficult, right? And so I've had to recreate a new container for myself, and it's a nest, actually. Yes, it's a nest. Right. Yeah, that feels really good. So you talked about how um, how letting the burdens down allows more space. I'm paraphrasing you now, but what I saw you doing with your hands was more space. And for me, that's where insight arises, intuition arises, uh, the, the idea that we can trust, you know, we can, we can trust in the divine that um, we don't have to control whatever's happening all the time. I, I, sorry. <laughs> I can trust in the divine. Oh, I can trust in the divine, right. <laughs> that old YDC moment. Yes, that YDC moment. Um, thank you. Yes, I can trust in the divine, in the divine in myself. So I don't have to figure out what's next. I can be in curiosity and trust and noticing and connecting I'm really connecting to my garden. Yeah. And the as the as the details and the busyness is really allowed to drop away, it kind of it's like an editing process. So what's important to me now? I care deeply about the planet. I worry, you know, or I try not to worry so much as act. It's a it's a very very challenging time. So it's not like I retire and I'm, you know, going golfing. Nothing against golf, but you know that's not what's going to happen. You know, I made a joke earlier about I'm going back to the streets. Maybe I am. You know, the the threads of hope that I see, I want to figure out how I can follow and support those threads. When it comes to conservation. Indigenous-led conservation is the future. If if we're going to uh, come into right relationship with with the land and the waters and all the other beings, indigenous people are leading the way. And as as settlers and and even colonial history, you know, conservation groups with colonial histories, we need to step back, step out of what we have thought of as leadership, and really become servants of of Indigenous-led conservation. So what does that look like? I don't know, you know, um, but it looks like uplifting as much, you know, in, in ways that I can and and advocating. So finding ways to do that. It looks like more writing, for sure. Um, yeah, I think those are those are kind of the main threads that I see. I'm fascinated again by this idea of the rights of nature I think that's that's a thread that I see there for myself. Um, I also feel that at the community level, I'm interested in because I've worked at the sort of, I mean, every everything is local, but I'm also interested in how we in our at a very basic community level 
here in Nelson, here in the West Kootenays, we've got a lot more emergencies coming at us. Yeah. So even just really basic stuff like kitchen table kind of emergency preparedness is actually something that I'm finding myself curious about, how we support each other through all these traumas that that are coming at us, wildfire seasons and all of it. I just kind of look for like what inspires me. There's a there's a group called Third Act in the United States. So Third Act being people 60 and over who are just organizing and and getting active and they they get arrested in front of banks that are funding climate change sitting in rocking chairs and I just love that kind of stuff. So that inspires me more yoga and more Tara <laughs> more Tara principle you know, infusing everything. And, and what would that be? Well, again, I kind of go to that shortcut, to that feeling of intuition and trust. Partly it's going where I'm asked, going where I'm called, just tuning in and listening and not feeling like I have to have a plan and trusting that whatever I might have to offer is going to find the place that it's meant to find. There's really a a letting go of having to have a grand plan, at least right now. Right. Yeah. And I wondered if you look back at your life, if you could see that kind of thread through it, because you might not have known as the angry young woman that you would become a conservationist and that evolved. So almost like you can build trust based on what you've experienced in your life. Totally. Yeah. And all that value, all the knowledge, all of the experience that you've gained, she's going to want to use that. Yeah, and, exactly. And I think community is something that's so important in the world right now. How you build that or how you connect people, how you bring people together, it seems to be part of what you do. Definitely. Yeah. After my retirement, Suddenly there was all this space and time and I found myself just walking places in town more and encountering the most interesting people, including people that had been my neighbors that I was just kind of too busy to notice. <laughs> and I just, yeah, and, and I just felt really embraced and loved and, and yeah, it was just this wonderful feeling. So yeah, I really have, I really have a lot of faith that, um, I mean, I learned so much at YDC and I love the, um, Bhakti, karma, and shnana. So the devotion, the the service, and the and the wisdom part. One of the take homes for me from YDC, and it was wonderful to encounter it again uh, on this visit, is something from the Kundalini book from Swami Radha, and and she she says, "In the will of the Most High, I am free." So really letting go of that idea that I'm the doer. That's such a practice of surrender. You talked earlier about weaving together threads of hope. And given the serious state of the world right now, can you say what gives you hope? Well, I will say it's always so great to come to the ashram and meet the young people that come here, and they really give me hope. That is, that's something that, that I've always felt here. Like, who are these amazing young people who come and they're they're at a they're at turning points in their lives. They're wondering what am I going to do, and how do I be in the world? And their hearts are so open, and they're struggling. And but they're so that that really gives me hope. 
I have faith in us. I do. I kind of have to, I guess. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Oh, this has been <laughs> such a pleasure. Namaste. Namaste. Thanks for listening. Yashodara Ashram is located in Kootenay Bay, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded and ancestral territory of the Sinaiaks and Tanaha people. You can find out more at yashodara.org.